Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Truth in Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld, and, and we've had a series going on, John, for, for a few weeks yeah. now, and we're going to continue that series, and it's on the topic of heaven, right. and give me a sense of where we're going today with the, with the, with the message. Ben, we're going to talk about you know, the resurrection of the body and try to come to terms with what is it that's promised regarding the physicality of life in the world to come. And if you've never been subject to that, I mean, you really need to hear what we've got to say. Excellent, excellent. Well, we look forward to it. And remember to join us in just a moment as Dr. Newfeld presents his next message on heaven right here on Truth and Life Today. You know, the human body is a marvel of engineering. It really is. It is beautiful, it's complex, it's functional, and it expresses who we are. Well, I've written down a number of things about the, uh, the marvelous engineering of the body. So the human body consists of a number of biological systems. Listen to some of them. The circulatory system moves blood, nutrients, oxygen, carbon dioxide, and hormones through your body. You've got a digestive system that allows your body to break down and absorb food and remove waste. You have an endocrine system. It consists of eight major glands that secrete hormones into the blood. You have an immune system, which is your body's defense against disease. You have a lymphatic system. It also defends against disease, but it also uh, does a number of other things, including uh, the stopping of infections. Lymphatic system, uh, we've mentioned that. There's the nervous system. It controls voluntary and involuntary actions. You've got a muscular system, and I don't know if you know that, but you've got about 650 muscles in your body. You've got a reproductive system, a skeletal system, a respiratory system, a urinary system. The skin is itself a system and it protects the body from the outside world. It's a marvel of engineering. And of course, human bodies are more than just the systems. We have five vital organs, the brain, the heart, the kidneys, the liver, and the lungs. Uh, your human body consists of 100 trillion cells. I don't even know how to quantify that number, you take about 20,000 breaths every single day. Your brain itself has about 100 billion nerve cells, the, the, the interconnectedness of all these systems and organs in your body is a marvel of God's engineering. There's every reason in the world why David would say in Psalm 139 verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. Well, that's a part of what our human body is all about. And yet, even while we talk about this marvelous thing called our body, we also know that our bodies are subject to disease and to degradation, to aging and eventually to death. I mean, everything about this marvelous engineered body will eventually uh, collapse and die. And if you're like me and you get buried in a BC soil, which is where I expect to be buried in the end, I mean, ultimately, you know, all of the elements will leach everything out and there'll be nothing left at all. Uh, that's the, the shame of our body, and that's what it also means to be born into the fall. There may be this wonderful thing called the engineering of God, and yet we know we live in a world that's invaded by death. Now, let me say something about the human body. Uh, I'm gonna read to you from the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is one of the great creeds of the Christian faith in history. And, and here's what it says about the resurrection. It says, all the dead will be raised up with the self-same bodies and none other. 
<laughs> that may sound so surprising because how is it that we are raised in the life to come with the self-same bodies that we now have? Well, we're going to talk about whether or not that's true, and we're going to look at some Bible text, but let's just think about that for a moment. I mean, some of you might be excited about that, but others can look at yourself in a full-length mirror and say, you know, I'm overweight, I'm ugly, and I, you know, I'm not as intelligent as I'd like to be, and I was sure hoping for a better model when I get to eternity. So let's consider those thoughts for a moment and ask ourselves, what is the future of the human body in the life to come? I'm reading from a quote here in um, his Systematic Theology. Uh, Wayne Grudem writes, When Christ returns and raises from the dead the bodies of all believers for all time who have died, he reunites them with their souls and changes the body of all believers who remain alive. So there is this continuity uh, between the life to come and the one life that we now live in and the life that we now enjoy. Well, let's find out what the scripture actually says about this theme. What does the future look like? I'm talking about the eternal future, look like in terms of our bodies. I'm taking you to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm gonna start by reading verse 20. I want you to follow along with me. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, when it says Christ has been raised from the dead, we know that what it's referring to is the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus was laid in a tomb, his body didn't remain there. It's not as if somehow a new body came into existence and the old one simply rotted away in the tomb. You remember that, you know, the disciples, Peter and John, were the first disciples who came into the tomb. They opened the door and they found that the grave clothes were still there, but the body of Jesus was no longer there. And then later on, when Jesus appears to the 12 in the upper room, or to the 11, I should say, um, he says to Thomas, touch me and see that a ghost does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. You know, that's an interesting statement. Christ comes with a resurrected body. His old one has been transformed so that everyone got the impression that the body of Jesus was indeed the body that he had before, and yet it was a body unlike the one that he had before. Now, in 1 Corinthians, what we read is Christ has been raised from the dead, and then there's a verse that says, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, in the Old Testament, a first fruit is the first offering that comes to God while the harvest is still in the field. So you can imagine it's almost harvest time, and you take a first bit of the harvest, and you present it as an offering to God, knowing that there's a whole big harvest waiting there behind you. And that's what this text is saying. Christ is the first offering to the Father of a harvest of men and women who will follow in his train and be raised like him. So from that, we're assuming that as Jesus was physically raised from the dead, so we will be as well. You know, we've started in a study which has to do with the, the, the future of our own body or what the Bible calls the resurrection of our own body. And we need some specific understanding of, of what it is that the Bible speaks about. 
So I'm reading from 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm gonna start at verse 35, and I'm gonna read through to verse 38. Here Paul writes, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? Yeah, that's our question. With what kind of body do they come? And then he says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but it is a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Well, Paul is using an analogy here, and the analogy is a seed that's planted in the ground. That's the analogy of our own death. Now, a seed, of course, doesn't technically die, um, but it does appear to die, and it disintegrates in the soil. But as we know, there is a stalk of wheat that grows out of it, and that stalk of wheat is everything more than that seed was ever, uh, which we would have thought that seed was possible of. So, so what Paul is actually saying is, here's an analogy. What you put into the ground will indeed be raised again, but it will be better than the first version. Okay, that's where we start. Now, let me go on to verse 39 and read through to verse 40. He says, for not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans and another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. Now, what Paul is saying is that when God designs bodies, whether it's a body of an animal, whether it's a body of a human being, he designs bodies for a specific environment, and he designs them also for a specific usage. A human body is designed by God to do exactly what God has designed for human beings to do. So there is a function of a body. God designs each body with a function in mind. So let me keep on reading verses 42 to 44. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. Listen to this. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And then I'm going to skip ahead. I'm going to go all the way to verses 48 and 49. And here is Paul's conclusion. As was the man of dust... So also are those who are of the dust, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. So realizing that each body is created by God and is created for a purpose, Paul is now saying that God is designing a body for the purpose of heaven. So in verse 50, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood, or he might have said, this present body, the way it, it now exists, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So our bodies are perishable now. We know that. They're breaking down, and they will one day cease to exist in their present form. That's just the reality of living in a fallen world. Now, here's what Paul also says. When God designed this body that we presently have, he did not design it for the environment of heaven. I mean, the best analogy I can think about is that if you take your present body and move it into outer space, you know, if you don't have the space suit on and all the technology that we designed so that we can live, our bodies were not designed to function in space. They were designed to function on earth. And the same is true of heaven and this present body. You know, if we were to stand before God as Moses did on Mount Sinai, if you remember the account, Moses stands before God and he says, I would see your glory. 
And God says to him, you can't see my face and live. Your body was not designed to stand in my presence. It can't exist in that kind of an environment. And that's what Paul is saying here. This body can't exist in the environment of heaven. And so therefore, in the resurrection of the dead, when our bodies are made new, when we receive a resurrection body that rises out of this earthly body, a body that is like the raised body of Jesus, that body then will be specifically designed for the environment of heaven. It will be designed to look at God. Well, so now I'm gonna try to answer the question of what the resurrected body is going to actually look like. And I'm gonna give you five things that we find in the text that I've already read that tells us of how we will be different with a raised body. Here's the first of them. I'm gonna say that whereas now we're subject to death, then we will be, as Paul says, imperishable. Now, the idea of imperishable means that we are never going to wear out. That means you're never gonna have a cold. That means you're, you're never gonna have a headache. That means you're never gonna have cancer. That means you're never in some way going to be weakened by something. <laughs> I love to say it this way. I'm never gonna struggle with you know, weight problems anymore as long as I live, and I say hallelujah to that. Uh, you know, sometimes people say, well, does that mean when I get to heaven that I'm gonna be youthful? I mean, how old will we all look? And the answer to that is <laughs> the Bible simply doesn't tell us outside of this. It will seem that however our body will exist in heaven, it will be in the ideal state. It will be in the place where it is perhaps both youthful and mature, that there are none of the limitations that surround our present body. So we know that whereas we are now subject uh, to death, uh, then we will not be subject to death. We will be what Paul calls imperishable. Here's the second thing that I know for certain about the body that is to come. Whereas we are now subject to dishonor, then we will be glorious. Uh, I think there are several features about that. I mean, for one, uh, you know, when the question is asked, will I be beautiful in heaven? I don't know however you think about beauty, but let me use this as an analogy. I think that Adam and Eve were probably stunningly beautiful next to what anyone in the world looks like today. We will be so much advanced beyond that, but there's so much to talk about. Now, I've said that there are five facets that we get from 1 Corinthians about the resurrection of the body to come. So the first of them is, whereas we are now subject to death, then we will be imperishable. That's the first thing. The second thing I've said is that we are now subject to dishonor, but then we will be glorious. And I've talked a little bit about the beauty of the body to come, but I think when, uh, you know, when Paul speaks about the glorious body that is to come, he always means glory as in relationship to God. That is, we were created in the image of God to reflect the glory of God. Uh, in the life to come, we will perfectly do that. We will be so in tune with God that the way in which the body functions uh, 
will not be a body which you know struggles with what we now call the flesh and the sins of the flesh, but rather the the desire of the body will be completely in will. I'm sorry, in line with the human will to glorify God. So that's the second thing. I could add thirdly, whereas we are now subject to weakness, then we will be powerful. Now, that might sound redundant because I've just said that we're going to be glorious, meaning that we will perfectly reflect the glory of God. But when I use the word powerful, I think what I'm trying to say is that our bodies will be able to accomplish anything that we need to accomplish for the glory of God. They will serve perfectly the redeemed will. Now, I know that there are all sorts of limitations to our body, and I'm not arguing that in heaven we'll have an unlimited body. Let me try to make this plain. First of all, I know this, that no human being will be omnipresent in heaven. If you don't know what omnipresent means, it means to be present to all spaces at all times. Only God is omnipresent. We are spatially located and will be spatially located for all of eternity. The second thing that I love to say also is that we're not going to be omniscient, and omniscient means all-knowing and all-wise. You know, I love it when people say, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to know everything, but I find no verse in the scripture that tells me that. I'm assuming that I am always going to have a limited intellect, but the intellect that I have in the life to come will be so much superior to the intellect that I have now. I suspect that in eternity, we will be able to learn faster and grasp concepts quicker than we were able to do here. That, I think, is this idea of having a, a powerful body that does those things which God has equipped it to do. And that, that tells me a lot about things like creativity and producing things and accomplishing things in the future. I'm assuming that in heaven, people will write books. I'm assuming that they'll build structures. I'm assuming that they will master all of God's creation and use God's creation for his glory. That requires human ingenuity. And when we talk about a powerful body, we mean that a body will be able to do that which God has equipped it to do. A fourth thing I'd like to say is that whereas now this passage of Scripture says we have a natural body, then we will have a spiritual body. Now, if you're not careful, you're going to say, oh, a spiritual body, I know, that's kind of a mist that floats around. But we've already seen that's not what Paul is wanting to communicate. He's telling us that we're going to have a body like Christ's body, who said he had flesh and bones. And we're going to have flesh and bones and I assume that means fingers and toes and a nose and ears and everything else that make up human bodies today. So we are actually going to be physical in heaven. You know, when Paul says a spiritual body, he means a body that is consistent with the character and the activity of the Holy Spirit. You're never in the world to come going to have to fight to get your body to line up with the things of God, your body will willingly comply to all that God wants of us. Finally, whereas now we physically bear the image of Adam, then we will physically bear the image of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean we're going to look exactly like Jesus. I mean, I have all sorts of people always asking me, um, you know, are we going to recognize one another in heaven? And I'm assuming that because the disciples recognized Jesus, we're going to recognize each other. I just assume that from the image of Jesus. But if we're going to bear the image of Christ, it means that we shall be like Christ in the sense that we'll desire what he desires. 
So let me come back to where I started. I quoted from the Westminster Confession of Faith, saying that the self-same bodies are raised in the resurrection. See, by self-same, I don't think that the writers of the Westminster Confession said that these bodies with all their weaknesses will be raised. They didn't mean that. They meant that these bodies that we presently have will be transformed. The limitations of these bodies will be removed and they will be re-energized, transformed, and become like that for which God had intended us to be. Heaven, you see, is not the end of human personality and the end of uh, human ingenuity and the end of human accomplishments. Heaven is not this static thing in which nothing new ever happens. I'm assuming that heaven is filled with human beings who combine their forces together to accomplish great things, but the things that we accomplish will be accomplished for the glory of God and absent all of the limitations that cause us always to run afoul of the glory of God. We'll be energized to be that which God wants us to be. And so I start again with where I began. I say, you know, the human body is this marvelous feat of God's engineering prowess. It is fascinating to see how God put this body together. I'm wondering, in fact, I'm breathless in wonder of how when we come to study our own bodies when we get to heaven, how we begin to come to terms with, you know, uh, some of the things that God's engineering prowess has now done to create a body that perfectly is designed to do all that God calls us to do. This, this, This coming together of both the will of God and human will and the human flesh will be a fascinating thing. And I just can't wait for the resurrection of my body. Welcome back to Truth and Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld. John, thanks so much uh, for your message today. Yeah. And, and I, was, I was delighted by some of the things you were saying. First of all, to know that, that this isn't going to be the body that I always have. In fact, it, it's sort of, you know. Well, yes I, and no, right? I, well, yes and no, right? Yeah. But I'm not going to grow older and I'm not going to worry about the things that our world worries about today, the vanity of our bodies or the pursuit of tr- always trying to master our bodies. Those things aren't going to be there. No, it's a fascinating thing. I mean, I don't know, you know, do you do workouts in heaven? I mean, obviously those are things that the Bible doesn't address. Um, I think the rejoicing in the body, the cooperation of the body with the spirit is to me a fascinating thing because, you know, all of us who know Christ and love Christ know what it is to struggle with our own flesh. Yeah. I mean, that's just a part of everyday life so that the body that I now have doesn't cooperate with the life of the spirit, not willingly. I mean, it has to be bludgeoned into line. Paul says, I beat my body, I make it my slave. We're not gonna have to beat the body and make it our slave. And we we are gonna find the body willingly cooperating with with the renewed mind that wants to love God and glorify God in everything. Yeah, you know, the other thing I was thinking is we won't have that, uh, uh, we won't be pursuing certain things like we pursue them now with our body. We won't be judging people according to their appearances. It does sound pretty heavenly. Yeah, it does. And we'll say, hey, looking good, Ben. Absolutely, (laughs) hasn't been said for a while. So thank you very much. (laughs) Thanks so much, Sean. And where are we going next week? Yeah, we're gonna talk about what it is when the Bible says that we shall see him as he is. 
Uh, I know that many of us think we understand that, but there's a lot in that that I think is a deep mystery. Thanks so much. And uh, remember to join us again next week right here on Truth and Life Today. Thank you.